Vienna, the capital city of Austria, is also known worldwide as the City of Music. Mozart, Brahms, Strauss and Schubert all called Vienna home. And today it remains a tourism hotspot for music lovers from all over the world. It is also home to almost two million people, a figure that is growing as people flock to live in a city with low crime, affordable homes and a lot of green space. Of course, busy cities need good public transport for both residents and tourists alike. And so Vienna is expanding its metro system to accommodate the growing demand. But working beneath the surface of a busy city will require the use of a type of underground support that's never been used in Vienna before. The City of Music is fine-tuning the way that it constructs underground. By using a type of support that's gaining popularity across Europe as ground engineers look for faster, safer, temporary supports that can be reused, not just demolished when the permanent works are ready to take the loads. Steel hydraulic props are holding back the ground so that a new station can be constructed without wasting tonnes of concrete. Less waste means less carbon. And less carbon means less global warming. Welcome to the Tunnelling Podcast. I'm Alex Conacher. And I'm Bernadette Ballantyne. In this episode, we are going to learn about an unseen part of construction. The temporary work that's needed to enable construction of the final permanent infrastructure. In creating tunnels and new metro stations, for example, the ground has to be held back and prevented from collapsing into the new excavations as the stations and tunnels are created. This episode, we are talking about props. But first, a message from our episode sponsor. Support for this episode comes from Surumi UK. Surumi UK provides a range of superior quality, highly durable, single and free phase submersible pumps that can withstand the toughest of conditions in tunneling and construction projects. They recognize that tunnels are digging deeper and demands are increasing. That's why Surumi UK provide a wide range of reliable products designed for pumping almost any type of liquid. They understand that removing residual and contaminated water is vital in maintaining a safe working environment in tunnel construction. So their aim is to provide products to do just that. Surumi pumps are renowned as the most robust pumps on the market. So all submersible pumps are combined with a three year guarantee, living up to their slogan that they are stronger for longer. To find out more, visit their website www.surumi.co.uk That's Tsurumi spelt T-S-U-R-U-M-I And now, back to the episode. The Great Pyramid of Giza, built thousands of years ago in Egypt, needed temporary works in the form of compacted sand ramps to position the permanent blocks. Without temporary support, there would be no permanent structures. I'm Peter Richardson. I've been working in the foundation industry for more years than I care to remember. Peter knows all about temporary works and ground engineering. I'm a fellow of the Institution of Civil Engineers and I've worked together with Ground Force since 2008. 
Groundforce brought Peter in to encourage and support the growth in demand for its hydraulic support props in Europe. These heavy-duty steel props are modular, so they can be extended to suit the width of the excavation, and contain hydraulic rams to provide large-scale resistance to the pressure of the ground. First used in the US and the UK, Peter says that these are becoming increasingly popular in Europe, especially in Vienna, where extending the metro required some innovative use of ground supports. The Triestestrasse project was a rhomboidal shaft, approximately 63 metres long and 32 metres wide. And it was constructed in top-down format. Triestestrasse was the starting point for a new station called Matzleindorfer Platz, which is a critical part of the extension of the Metro's Line 2. So they built the ground floor slab, the minus one slab, the minus two slab, all in concrete. And at level minus three and a half, they needed a temporary support system uh, while they excavated to minus four to create the concrete slab at the bottom. This location was the point at which the new tunnels would arrive at the station and so any supports needed to be temporary. And the initial solution was a temporary concrete structure. And the company Switelski, who we were working for, took the decision that concrete is not a temporary material. They wanted a temporary solution and therefore ground forces modular system with all its hydraulic advantages came into play. The contractor wanted a system that they could install and then remove quickly. Peter knew just the right solution. And we were fortunate in that we had recently developed a large, but not the largest prop, the MP375, which uh, will, was used across the corners. This is a very flexible piece of equipment and it works exceptionally well. And we use these in all of the corners of the rhomboid in twin levels because the loads were very high. So we had two levels very close to each other to share the load. MP375 means that each prop can withstand 375 tonnes of load. Spanning the corners on two levels, these varied in length from 6 metres to 24 metres, depending on how far out they were from the corner. Importantly, the contractor was well prepared for the arrival of these props and pre-cast the connection points into the 1.2 metres thick diaphragm walls of the excavation. To do this required a lot of pre-planning with the project designer. We had to come up with a system together with the Austrian designers where the end plates of the props, at the end of each hydraulic prop, there is a pin. This pin allows the end plates to articulate and because it's a corner prop, it means there are shear loads coming into the wall from the prop loads. So the connection detail had to be designed very carefully. And they came up with a system whereby the end plates were made to be slightly heavier. And these were embedded into the diaphragm wall. They actually cut relatively shallow holes, 100, 150 millimeter deep holes in the diaphragm wall. We embedded the end plates in these holes and then by anchoring these plates into the remaining one metre of the wall, that structure allowed for the shear loads uh, to be taken into the wall and then the whole system worked very efficiently. In this case, the word pin feels like a misnomer. 
The pins are typically by this size, we're looking at around 100, 110 millimeter diameter. Each pin weighs about 80 kilos. So these, these are not little things, these are meaty. Even more meaty were the horizontal struts. Spanning over 30 metres through the centre of the station box, Ground Force used its enormous MP750 hydraulic props. For these, a hydraulic ram in the props is used to take the load straight away so that they can be placed quickly. But then the load is actually taken by two huge steel bolts. We're talking 160 millimetre diameter and they're solid and each of these can happily take 375 tons. Either side of the hydraulic unit. So the hydraulic unit's on the axis and the two big bolts sit approximately uh, 400 mil, 500 mil either side of the hydraulic element. So you use the hydraulic element for installation and then you tighten the two bolts and that prop then can take nominally up to 750 tons through these bolts and the hydraulic element then is no longer under pressure. 13 of these massive struts were used across the span of the station box and it didn't take as long as anyone expected. The props were all installed in three weeks. They thought it would take four, we estimated four, um, but once they got the first few in and realised how easy it was, then they went in exceptionally quickly. For enormous props like this, spanning a huge distance, there is a very important factor that ground force takes into account. What makes this more interesting is because of the loads on the transverse props, the MP750, we needed a form of intermediate support to stop the steel tubes buckling. As soon as you start increasing the spans much beyond sort of 15 metres, it's the buckling that limits the capacity or resistance, however we want to think about it, of the struts. So and as you get longer, the tendency to buckle gets greater. This is Tony Gould. He's a pioneer in the field of hydraulic supports and has been designing them initially for UK projects since the early 1980s. Previously Ground Force Technical Director, he recently retired and is now working part-time as a consultant. He explains that back in the 1980s, the systems were very basic compared to today's highly engineered steel, but they soon became really popular. This, believe it or not, this was way before personal computers became the norm and it even predated fax machines so everything was done by post and I would I would do handwritten calculations and a lady called Pauline Sorden if I don't know I'm sure she wouldn't be listening to this but she used to type up the quotes so if someone rang up and said where's my quote you know it could always well I blamed it in the post and Pauline would be busy typing it up next door so that's 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 really how how sort of uh, old-fashioned and anachronistic it, it, it was then but we churned through a lot of designs Back in those days, three or four metres was considered a very large excavation, and the challenges were nothing like the complexity that engineers face today. But still, Tony and his team loved a challenge, and the challenge has been to increase the size and capacity of the hydraulic supports, so that projects like Vienna can turn to them for major infrastructure. So, if you can just picture picture um we used to call it a safe working load chart this is again a working load chart you've got a nice horizontal you know if it's an mp750 you've got you've got a nice flat portion at the top of 750 tons up to about 15 meters 
then the curve starts to drop off. The drop off in the curve shows the drop in capacity unless some clever engineering is deployed. And then we can start doing clever things like putting central supports to, to, to increase its buckling resistance. The other thing that engineers can do is increase the diameter thickness of the tube, but that has other side effects. So we have to balance the, 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 the knock-on effect. If we increase the diameter of the tube or increase the thickness of the tube, you're increasing the weight of the tube, which, which, which has a negative effect. So there's a balance between size and weight and various other parameters to optimise what we, what we can do. Tony says there's been a quantum leap in technology since he began designing these systems with pencil and paper as he drove around the UK looking into excavations for contractors who'd mainly been using simple timber shoring. We started off with an MP50, met plant 50 tonne capacity, we have 50, 120, 550, 250, 375, 500, so we've got a whole range. The props have got bigger and bigger. So I remember someone saying at the time when we, when we uh, first put MP50s on site, someone said, that's massive, it will never catch on, you know, and here we are now with something that literally makes an MP50 look like a, look like a pipe cleaner, basically, you know, so they were wrong and uh, we, we had the vision to develop these, uh, to develop these into systems that, that, uh, that are in quite heavy demand today. Another area where the company had vision was employing load monitors into its supports so that it could compare the theoretic designs with actual performance. We thought it would be a good idea if we could, if we could monitor loads in, in struts because at that time we would do our calculations, yes, and use the industry standard factors, factors of safety, then would, would go home, get on to the next job. This meant that there was no feedback about whether the struts were over-designed. Safety factors are rightly conservative, but how conservative? Tony wanted more data to be able to keep improving the designs, and when he got it, it revealed more than they expected. And all of a sudden that, that proved some quite interesting results. Results that were reported in real time instead of days later on a spreadsheet. You didn't have to wait a couple of days for a spreadsheet to be delivered. You could just literally sort of log on and see what was what was happening. But but one of the things it did highlight was the effects of um, it's called it thermal load. The analogy of that is you know we've all heard of in hot summers railway lines buckling. You know so uh, so as as a as a strut that's constrained between two relatively stiff walls heats up. The load is going to increase in that particular. There's no effort to go. It will try and push the wall back a little bit. So there's you know flexibility and stiffness comes into it. So this monitoring improved Tony and his team's understanding of the effect of the cycle of thermal expansion through a typical day. In general terms, as the sun comes out, heats the strut up, the loads go up. And it's a cyclic thing, day or night, as it, you know, as it cools down at night, the loads drop off again. You know, and this is something we never used to, con never used to consider. Today, the team use thermal load calculations in their design process. If we're designing a strut now, we have to look at look at obviously the geotechnical load, the load coming on from the walls. But but in some cases, you know, 30, 40 percent of the total load could be, could be down to thermal load as well. With all his years of experience, Tony says the most important advice he can give to organisations looking to use these types of props for major projects is to start early. So you know, my my, my particularly in the major project sphere is to is to look at a supplier and commit to them and, and um, pick their brains and use their expertise because as I said I've, you know giving you an example of how how the volume of work we get through before so the chances are we've seen something very very similar to it and there's always there's always new new challenges
So what, what you find on a lot of these big projects is the propping will be drawn in indicatively at an early stage, but the connection from the prop to the wall will be a TBC effectively marked on the drawing. Now, actually, that's the first thing you need to be thinking about. This is Mark Whitmore. I'm the general manager for the major projects division of Grand Foreshore Co in the UK. So that basically covers all high-end, large-scale temporary propping solutions like large commercial basements, heavy civil schemes. Mark says that designing in the details early, before work starts, just like the project team did in Vienna, is crucial. And what happens is that the propping solution is worked up with the props carrying the loads, but the actual interface from that into the wall and how the loads are transferred is left to absolutely the last minute. But actually that's the first thing that's needed before the props turn up on site. That connection, be it a casting connection, concrete corbel, needs to be in place. And that's a really good example of where an early dialogue, an early conversation is needed between the permanent designer or the wall designer, the contractor, and the temporary works supplier. And if this doesn't happen? We have seen people having to come up with all sorts of fanciful post-anchored solutions where they've already cast, for example, a capping beam. They want to attach props to it. They can't carry the load into the capping beam effectively, particularly if the prop's on an angle. There's a lot of shear force. And you end up with massive anchor plates with dozens of post-drilled anchors in, for example. And all sorts of weird and wonderful solutions that cause the contractor on site no end of hassle. Hassle that can easily be avoided with earlier engagement. Design complexity and early involvement is one challenge. Another is working out how cost-effective it is to meet the growing demand for scale in the market. It might be technically possible, but is it financially viable? One of the key challenges at the moment for us particularly with the scale and complexity of some of these uh, projects increasing, is to actually be able to respond to that with the fleet in a sustainable commercial manner for us. Because obviously we can't just go out and manufacture props without any kind of limit. Because one, we need to know there's going to be some kind of market for them after that individual project. We obviously have to store them. The cost of them is spread over a period of time. So that is one of the challenges, and particularly at the moment uh, with the supply issues that we're facing post-Brexit and COVID, because there's a vast amount of temporary propping required just within the UK within the next few years with uh, HS2 and other major infrastructure work. And I'm sure that all the shoring suppliers are sort of battling with this issue at the moment of trying to get the balance right between being able to offer our customers the solution they want, but also making it work for us commercially. Another area where it's important to get the balance right is in calculating just how much more carbon efficient these hydraulic props are than other types of temporary support, such as concrete or welded steelwork. So we've always known that we've got a sustainable solution because it's almost zero waste. I think the challenge to us and to the industry in general is to be able to quantify that and actually put the argument forward that a modular hydraulic steel propping solution is the most environmental friendly solution when it comes to large scale propping solutions. Back in Vienna, the contractor used hydraulic props for this very reason. Here's Peter again. 
And that was one of Switelsky's winning points, that they were going to do this in as green a way as possible. Extending Vienna's metro for the client Wiener Linien is a huge project with many different work packages. And as a result of the success of this, we have already been contracted to do the first phase of the main U2, U5 work that starts in September. We spoke to Peter in August. And we are in negotiation for the next six phases already. And this is a direct result of the efficiency of the work at the first major station box. I don't think there's any questions anymore in the, in the minds of the people we're working for. The system works. Hydraulic solutions do what they're expected to do. They do it very well, they do it safely, and they do it very efficiently. The Tunnelling Podcast is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and produced by Bernadette Ballantyne, co-hosted and edited by me, Alex Conacher, series supervision by John Young, and our executive producer is Rory Harris. Special thanks to our sponsor this month, Sarumi UK. You can find The Tunnelling Podcast on all podcast apps and on our website, tunnelling.reby.media. Thank you.